Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 119. Today's episode is all about evolving in leadership. We're all not perfect, right? So we can be like super aware and be mindset teachers and do all this and still have a period week where we're like menstruating and we just want to stab someone. You know what I mean? So someone can only meet you in the energy level that you are being. So if I'm a leader of my life, because I am, I have to always be open to the fact that and aware of and and just understand that someone's going to meet me where I'm at. If I have the understanding of how to talk to someone and I can shift a little bit how I'm going to say something so that it hits them in the right spot, that's leadership. So it's kind of like awareness meets responsibility equals this way of being a leader in your own life. And that's kind of how I do it. It's not changing who I am. It's understanding where people are and understanding what I know and what I've embodied and being able to create the best result and win-win situation for the moments that I'm in. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. I am so stoked to bring you this episode. This was one of my favorites and I don't know, maybe ever. Libby and I run in the same circles here in LA, which is our guest. I'll tell you more about her in a minute. And we've developed a really cool friendship over the last few months. We realized how much we have in common, and I'm just really grateful for her. So this episode has just a really warm, personal feel to me. Also, it's my first episode using my remote setup rather than my home studios, and I'm really pleased with the sound. It's a testament to always evolving and pushing your comfort zone, which we talk about in this episode. When I started as an entrepreneur, I had a lot of fear. And it was weird because I just knew I was destined for something, something big. And when I was a little girl, I just knew in my soul that I would be successful. But then life happened, kind of chewed me up and spit me out a bit, and doubt started to creep in. But I still had this sense of knowing that this couldn't have all been for nothing. There had to be a reason for all the pain and I wanted to find it. But like I said, there was a lot of fear, especially on a public platform. What would people think? Will it work? Will I fail publicly? Will people talk behind my back? Will they believe me? I mean, some of these things that I share were parts of my life that I didn't tell anyone about. My deepest, darkest shame that suddenly I was spilling to everyone I'd ever known and then whoever else would listen. And there's so many other layers when it comes to pushing yourself. I know that a lot of you are leaders and entrepreneurs and coaches and mentors and learners and growers, and you're constantly evolving. So if you speak your truth publicly now, how will that change in the next few years? For example, there are early episodes where I had strong beliefs about things that since then I've kind of softened to, or maybe my beliefs have changed altogether, or I see another side that I didn't see back then. I always have so much compassion for political leaders or celebrities. Can you imagine people documenting your every thought, belief, and statement and then holding it against you for a lifetime? Man, the ignorant things I said in my youth. That's basically my nightmare. So how do you share your story and be vulnerable while still allowing room to grow and evolve? Or how do you have strong beliefs right now while staying open to new information and sharing it all publicly? Today, we're talking to one of my favorite leaders and female entrepreneurs, Libby Crow. 
And I will say this episode will be enlightening whether or not you're an entrepreneur or a leader. <laughs> Libby is self-proclaimed grandmother wise soul energy. And I'll tell you, you'll be able to feel it. So today, three key things you will learn are how to embrace your imperfections and get over the fear of saying the wrong thing, especially as you grow your influence. How self-care affects your compassion for others wherever they are in their journey and how to build your success by showing up for other people's success. You want to know the best way to remind yourself of just how powerful you really are? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com to sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power list to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. Welcome to the show, Libby. Thank you, love. Happy to be here. So for listeners out there, I'm not sure where this interview is going to go because we've been here for quite some time. We did an interview for Libby's podcast. We've sat on the floor and talked a lot. And then I just forgot to press the record button for a really long time while starting the interview. <laughs> so we've gotten to know each other really well. But now we're on that like spawn of thought that who knows where it's going to lead. <laughs> I think we're just juiced up. It's going to get even deeper. We're so juiced. <laughs> so First, let's start with your story. You have a thriving business. You are in uh, business with your husband, too, which I love and I definitely want to talk about because I kind of am as well. And how did you get to this point in your life? Yeah, so I came out of the womb a millionaire. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. So I didn't even know about entrepreneurship until seven years ago. And I was an elementary teacher. I taught first and second grade. And a friend of mine started an ML in an MLM, a network marketing company. And I thought it looked interesting and I was really jazzed by it. So I joined and I started coaching other people with in wellness. It was under the wellness umbrella. And I became really successful. I left my teaching job six months after I started it, which was kind of a big deal because, you know, you go to college and you get the job and you start paying off all your student loans and all of that. But I had faith in myself. I thought if I could make this much money working like five hours a week in this thing, then I can dominate it if I have all the time in the world. And I did. <laughs> and then I realized that I could have my own company. So I actually separated from that network marketing company and I started to go to conferences and hire mentors and learn that I could have my own brand. And that was an eating psychology and body image coaching business. And that transitioned into being a lot of life coaching for women. And that consulting company did really well. So I started mentoring people in their own businesses. People kept coming to me, asking me to help them. And at first I was resistant because I thought if you were a business coach, you had to be like really serious and just talk about strategy all the time. And even though I love talking about strategy, I said, okay, but I'm going to do it my own way. So it was really still me, even though we were talking about intellectual things that and, and important things like finances and money and sales and marketing and all the things. But I dove into that and I've been doing that for the last couple of years. Last year, I scaled one of my coaching programs to seven figures, which is a cool milestone to hit. And like you mentioned, I co-founded a an entrepreneur mindset company with Scott, my husband, and and that's been really fun too. So it's been quite a journey. I have a movement called Behind the Dream where I keep it real and I share how crappy it can be <laughs> to be a business owner and how it's not all glamorous. And it takes a lot of cojones, lots of, I mean, emotional, spiritual evolution and a big community of people who can support you on those days that are tough to get through. And I'm really excited to be here in this place where I feel abundant and I get to support so many people all around the world with my coaching. So the, yeah, it's been a whirlwind. What is the hardest part of entrepreneurship, would you say? <laughs> all of it. <laughs> um, for me, I think everyone has their own thing based off their own lessons that they're here to learn on the planet. I think for me, it's been 
not giving up really. I mean, I think entrepreneurship, if you keep going, like you're going to get it at some point, you know what I mean? It's like a long time game. I just didn't give up. I wanted to give up quite a bit on those days where like a launch wouldn't go well, or you really need to make ends meet and there's pressure and you're in survival. Like in the beginning days, it was kind of like that. So for me, my biggest hurdle has been not giving up. It's so simple, but so powerful. I think we can give up on our big visions. And when I set out, I had these three things in mind. I wanted to, you know, I called it retire my mom, but really I wanted to be able to support my mom financially. I wanted to have a big, sexy, modern home and I wanted to give back. And you know, I, my mom works for my company. I support her. I, we're in my beautiful, sexy, modern home right now. So check. <laughs> and then I've partnered with Virgin Unite, Richard Branson's, one of his nonprofits to, you know, support people and work my philanthropic muscles. So it's like, I didn't give up on these big visions. And I think that's been the hardest thing on those days that, you know, I felt depressed and I felt like it was too hard and, it's just such an emotional journey because you're really putting yourself out there every single day. Yeah. And there's so much to doubt because you can go unlimited directions. It's your own business. It's not like you're hired into a company and you're like, all you need to do is make this part of the company grow. Anything's (laughs) possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything's possible, which is so amazing, but it's also can be a lot of pressure for people, especially because, you know, so often we hear that we've got to focus on one thing or the riches are in the niches or whatever. And that was the hardest part for me when I started a business because I was so afraid to choose the wrong thing. But I didn't realize that it's just going to evolve anyways. So how is that for you from the beginning until now? Yeah. Now I'm kind of in a cool place where I don't have to be as niched down. Ideally, I would be if I really was focusing on profit and conversion, but I'm focusing on fun and being right now in my life. But at the beginning, I hardcore would focus on one thing. And that did create this brand that people knew me for and these programs that people wanted to take because I was saying the same thing over and over and over again. And my message was really powerful and strong. I didn't really battle with this whole, let me pick a niche and I feel boxed in. I think a lot of people feel that way. I was kind of excited. I was like, yeah, I'm really into this one thing and I'm going to go into it all the way. And I am multi-passionate, so I can absolutely understand that that can feel constricting. And I found other ways to work my creative muscles outside of business. So I didn't just rely on my business for my creative outlet. I looked at my business like a portal to impact and money, and then I lived my life. So it's, it's like I didn't put all my eggs in the business basket. If I did that, I probably would go crazy because just talking about the same thing over and over again as a creative visionary type feels, you know, like you go loony. Yeah. You don't yeah. want, it's like someone's forcing you to talk about something and you're over it. And there does come a point where you pivot and you change what you're going to talk about because you've evolved in your own way and you feel inspired to teach people about that evolution. And that's okay too. It happened naturally for me, the pivots that I took along the way. I would say like the four big ones, they were going from network marketing to my own business, then from eating psychology to life coaching, then from life coaching to business consulting. And then my most recent pivot was going from, you know, I'm a business mentor and really being known for that in the industry to I'm having a more lifestyle-based brand where I have my courses for entrepreneurs, but I want to talk about all the different life areas, you know, spirituality, love, you know, lifestyle, all that stuff. So for me, the pivots have kind of been natural, but there's been this like tick inside of me where it's like I started to feel uncomfortable talking about the same thing over and over again. It was kind of like versus excitement. So I kind of had to listen to those internal cues of, okay, why am I not as pumped about this? And it happens to a lot of people where they've run their same program for, you know, five, six times and they're like, oh my gosh. So I say at that point, you either need to scale it and have someone else run it for you or pivot and do something new, but it depends on your resourcing. You know, it doesn't always make sense for people who they need that stable income to pivot. It's like, and start brand new. So it's it's obviously being mindful about your own personal position, but the pivot is real. Yeah. I found that I'm most inspired by the things that I currently need in my life and it's going to be different things. So I already expect that my business is going to be constantly evolving and my focus is going to be constantly evolving. 
even when I go back and listen to some of my earlier podcast episodes, I'm like, I don't even believe that one thing anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's seeds of it, of course, but it led me to where I am. So it's fun to let that unravel. But it's also, it can be really scary if you feel identified with this one part of yourself or you feel that's what other people expect of you. So how do you balance what you need with what you feel that other people expect of you or like what you think is going to be successful? Has there ever been fear like, what if this part doesn't work? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove. So how do you balance what you need with what you feel that other people expect of you or like what you think is going to be successful? Has there ever been fear like what if this part doesn't work? I think the fear has come from growing in public. Like you're mentioning the things that you used to say you don't believe anymore. And sometimes that can be vulnerable. Like, oh, Libby used to say this, but now she's saying this. Like that fear of judgment or someone thinking things like that. And you just got to be honest. So I think there's this phrase that I used to tell my clients when I did more one-on-one -on -one type stuff. And what do I say if I'm changing things or someone has a new program and it's different than their old thing? And I say, say the thing. When you don't know what to say, say the thing. And they'd go, what do you mean? And I'd say, you just have to say what's going on. So, hey guys, I've been doing this for a long time and I've learned this over the last couple of years and I'm super passionate about it. So I'm transitioning. So it just takes away all the fear and the weirdness and the worry if you just say the thing. And people you'll find will want to go on that journey with you or they won't. And that's fine too. But generally people are evolving as well. Yeah. So if you're not changing, it's kind of like your audience can't really evolve with you. And it's a disservice to not offer them the next thing that you're excited about. It's such a supportive thing to say, Hey guys, this is the next thing that I'm doing and learning. And like, I'm going to offer it to you. And most likely they're going to be like, oh my gosh, we're ready for that next step too. I think I did a marketing course many years ago and they talked about it people staying in the car with you. So it's kind of like you're on a long journey and some people will get out of the car. Some people stay in the car and the people who stay in the car will be excited that you're pivoting and you're offering that next thing. Yeah. It's funny because I had a realization a while back where, well, one of the biggest issues that I had with religion growing up was that I realized you're not allowing any room for 
to learn more. Like Mm. if you, that was an argument I would have with my mom when I was in high school, like why I didn't want to go to church. I'm like, but if it's all written in stone right here, then it's not allowing us to evolve or to figure out different things about the way we exist or about life Mm. or about history. It's all just limiting. Yeah. You're supposed to be limited to just this. Mm. And there are a couple different interviews that I did where I asked somebody something about their book and there was both of them were right in the very beginning of the interview. So the first time it happened was early in my podcasting career. The second time was just recently. And they were like, well, if I could, if I could write it again, I would actually write this. Mm. And the first time it happened when I was a new podcaster and still nervous about what my next question was going to be, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, can I not trust the rest of your book? <laughs> but the second time I was like, thank you for saying that because what I've learned over podcasting or writing or anything is that if I was so afraid that what I'm writing right now needs to be infinite truth, mm-hmm. I would never get anything out there. Mm-hmm. Instead, I have to be worried about what feels true to me right now and then also be open if someone were to say otherwise. Otherwise, you're boxing yourself into mm-hmm. a current system of beliefs or a current way of being. And that's not really how to grow. Mm-hmm. It is immobilizing sometimes, though, because I see myself as kind of like this grandmother wisdom person, this timeless. With so sometimes it is immobilizing because it's like you know all the things. How do you say? It? And it's probably going to change. And it's like, eh, eh. but there's this quote that goes something like, "You should be embarrassed of your first draft or something yes. like that, or your first program." Or and it's true. It's like you're always going to change, and you have you have to remember that so many people are not even to your first draft yet. Like so many people, that's mind blowing to them. Like draft one of the person's book. That is like, who cares if they don't even agree with it anymore? That is like up leveling them far beyond, you know, what wouldn't have been if you would have never wrote that or done the podcast or whatever. So I like to think of it like, okay, if there's me seven years ago, what I'm saying today is profound, even if I don't agree with it in a year. Yeah. You seem like the type of person that has a very firm grounding in who you are. Have you always felt that way? Were, were you like, have the capacity as a teenager to be like, this is who I am? Or were you like the kind of teenager that was like, what does everyone want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always operated from one value, which is kindness, no matter how old I was or I am. So that's always been like my study is like be kind to people. And then from there, I think I've actually over the years gotten more bold. And it's because I believe in myself more and I know myself more. And the more I know myself and believe in myself, the more it's so easy to just be me and stand up for myself and what I believe. So I think before I was more interested in pleasing people and to like say the right thing. And now I'm just interested in what feels right to me. And it might be confrontational or it might not be the cute thing to do or say, but I trust I can trust myself in that. So I think I've always known that I'm a good person and that I have great integrity and that I'm kind and I'm like, you know, a trustworthy human. And that's always been the core. And then I've built my kind of my sass and my spice and my vigor and kind of that like personality based off those morals and values. I feel like I almost had an opposite. I was always bold and would say what was on my mind, Mm. but like, I come from a pretty funny family. So a lot of times it would just be like some sarcastic remark. Yeah. So then I felt like I needed to please to make up for it because I might (laughs) accidentally just make fun of you in front of a room of people because it was the funniest thing to say. (laughs) I lived my life from that place for a really long time. And so then I was overcompensating by not having boundaries or not feeling like I had to do something for somebody and immediately prove that I was nicer than I just sounded. (laughs) That's so funny. And I'm like on the opposite. I'm like, I would never want to say anything that you could misconstrue as, you know, like mean or whatever. I'm like a two on the Enneagram, you know, the porter person that wants to make everyone feel good. I'm I'm probably more that now. It sounds like you are. And I've experienced that you're very loving. Yeah. It's funny to look back though, because I just grew up in a family that would tease you. And I also really loved that I gained a thick skin from it and wit from Mm -hmm. that. So when people would feel like hurt feelings, I'd be like, you're going to thank me for this. Your skin is getting funny. Yeah. We did have opposites. Now I'm a little bit more spicy and like crack a little clever joke and, and that. So when you have, well, if have you ever had trouble voicing your boundaries and like, how do you do that? Yeah. I would say I started to learn more about boundaries about five, six years ago. And that was around the time when 
my business was really growing and I had to learn how to say no to people. So that was my first real experience of being aware of what a boundary really was. I'm sure I'd practiced them throughout my whole life up until then, but I didn't really know what they were called. I wasn't like, oh, I'm practicing a boundary right now. You know, I'm <laughs> 10 years old. But I realized, I think I did some training or something. I worked with some coach and they were teaching you how to say no to say yes to yourself, you know, yeah, that corny thing that's actually really great. And so I learned, okay, I have to be willing to disappoint other people to love myself. And that's okay. And so that was like the first time I learned it. And then I would say my boundaries, they didn't get stronger because that kind of makes it sound like there's something in between me and other people. They've just got deeper. So I learned more about my needs. And from there, I could make executive decisions that felt more loving to myself. The cool part about actually voicing boundaries is that the more you do it, the less people hold it against you for doing so. They're used it becomes, to it. <laughs> it just becomes who they are. Mm-hmm. And now I have the same point of view I did before in a different aspect of my life where when people do get upset at me for voicing my own boundaries, I think, well, you're placing unreasonable expectations on another person. You'll thank me for this later. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because there have been moments in my life where some of the hardest things that people ever said to me when I look back on it, it was set out of love, but something about it really hurt because I was not who I am today, or I was placing unreasonable expectations or getting my feeling of love from the wrong place, whatever. I remember one in particular, I was probably being a little bit needy with a friend and felt left out or something. And I said something about it. And she said something along the lines of, I can't take responsibility for your feelings or something like that. And it felt really harsh. But now when I replay it, it doesn't feel harsh because I'm in a different place. Thanks for that. And it was one of those things where I hung up the phone and I cried, but then it marinated. And Mm -hmm. months later, it changed who I was and how I interacted with the world. And so sometimes being yourself in this deep way or setting your own boundaries or speaking your truth gives other people permission to do that same thing in a totally different way. Absolutely. I think I have also this fear of people having no boundaries. So you know the three attachment styles, the anxious, avoidant, and secure? I tend to be more avoidant secure. So I'm not really attracted to anxious attachment styles. So people who are like, needy or texting you all the time and expect you to text back like that. I'm like, I just can't even, I just can't even with it, you know? And, and I can be more on the avoidant where it's like, I just won't say anything, even though I might want something. So my edge or my like boundaries almost been like an unboundary where I actually have to lean in more than like put up a boundary. It's like, okay, I actually want to say how I feel. And that's my big thing versus like, let me protect myself from something. It's almost been an opposite boundary. I'm I'm unboundering (laughs) myself. (laughs) I feel the same. It's so funny. It's funny that I could be needy at certain times when at the other times, like the moment I felt like somebody was relying on me too much, I retreated. Yeah. (laughs) But another big moment of change, which we share in common and we were talking about before, was about being an empath and being highly sensitive. And that was a lot of the reasons where I'm like, you can't need me because I'm going to feel all of this and I'm not ready to feel all of it. Yeah. And I didn't know either. That's why I was more avoidant. It's like I was actually just honoring my needs and my nervous system and, you know, trying to unstimulate myself from a conversation or just from someone else's stimulation. I didn't know that that's really what it was. So having needs as an empath, I just did an episode on being an empath uh, with Dr. Judith Orloff, the author of Empath Survival Guide, which is great. And I got a lot of people reaching out like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm reading a guidebook to myself, which was the exact words that I said. And you (laughs) seem to share that same moment. What comes with being highly aware of who you are in general, whether it's empath or whatever, and voicing those boundaries and things like that is then learning how to work with what you learn about yourself and then how to interact with the world. Mm -hmm. So being in a relationship where you're also in business with somebody, that's a lot of commingling. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of energy machine together for a lack of a technical turn. Yeah. So how do you guys balance that being in a couple, in a business and being highly sensitive? Yeah. So I just did a podcast episode on being highly sensitive and had a highly sensitive expert on. So it's so funny. We're on the same little zone. Well, my husband is not highly sensitive. In fact, he's almost opposite on the spectrum where he's a stimulation seeker. 
I don't know if you've heard that, but it's almost like the opposite where people want to feel like the highest amount of stimulate, like opposite of me, right? Oh my God, our husbands would be best friends. Yeah. So, so what I feel a lot, he feels nothing. So it's been a lot of communication. He knows me really well and he's proactive. So he'll be like, hey, babe, I know that you had a podcast. Like, for example, today, he's texted me earlier. He's like, I know you have a podcast, you know, swap today with Melissa. Do you want to do something cozy tonight? Because I know you'll probably want to reset. So he almost is more proactive with my sensitivity than I am. It's pretty <laughs> cool. He's like extra loving and thoughtful in that way and, and has learned me. Because at first, when we would be together, we went nomadic. Not a highly sensitive dream, to be honest with you. Like oh God, so you stimulating. Too. You did too? Oh, <laughs> this this so is, it gets weirder and weirder, you guys, our timeline. And it's one of the reasons why I think I burnt out my adrenals. That's a lot. A new environment, a new sound, smell, energy every single day where he was just fine and dandy, you know? <laughs> so we had to learn that at the beginning. And when it comes to business, so we both have our separate businesses that are, you know, 99% of what what we're focused on in terms of business, then the little 1% pie is what we do together. And with that, we've actually learned less about the sensitivity part, but more about how to access our own unique gifts. So in our company that we own, and we have this program called Shift 365, where we recorded 365 mindset videos together. That's a lot of videos. (laughs) That's a lot of videos to record. So So what we found through that is you know, I'm more direct into the point and he's more of a storyteller. So it's more about us learning each other, whether it's in business or in our sensitivity or for his sake, lack of sensitivity <laughs> and, and just kind of being proactive. So like he'll do this thing where he'll look at our calendar uh, the week ahead and he'll plan out these flow days for us where we have nothing planned but to just be together. And because he knows that that feels good to me to not have a bunch of things stacked up in my calendar because I can get overwhelmed. So he's really great at being able to kind of tend to my sensitive soul. And I'm learning how to do that even more for myself. So outside of the relationship, I've been practicing things like silent time where it's like he'll leave the house and I have nothing on and it's just me like doing what I need to do. I've learned to take baths. I've learned to like do these things that are just really maybe external self-care, but in a deeper way that re-energizes me so that I have that capacity and my nervous system can heal to kind of be full on the next day. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. 
It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I feel like we have parallel relationships now. Like it's very similar. Shane does not feel a lot of like he's like a rock you know <laughs> he get, goes into robot mode or whatever and I'm so grateful for that one of my favorite visualizations that somebody gave me was that the man is often or the woman is often the wave crashing up against the rock at least for my relationship that feels so true <laughs> you're like I'm that tide coming in hot <laughs> and there's so many things that he does to balance that side of me out and he knows I think he'll do the same things like Scott where it's like well, do you need some time to decompress? Mm-hmm. Or like he builds me nooks. Nooks. I'm like all about nooks. And so like we moved to New York and we lived in a room the size of a queen size bed. Whoa, <laughs> and, really? And he built a loft though so that the bed could go up and we had a couch on the bottom. But then in the windowsill, he built me a little nook because he knew I'd need alone time and like oh. I could basically put up pillows and it was just like I me in this that. windowsill. I love that. That is sweet. But it took a while to get there mm-hmm. in the beginning. The communication to learn how to balance each other out. And I remember it was during us nomading through, (laughs) don't take a honeymoon where you go 30 days, nine countries on a road trip. If you want to feel sensitive, also sensitive, like go to Cancun, get an all-inclusive package, whatever you need to do. It was a lot, but it also like expedited our relationship. Mm -hmm. We learned a lot of communication through that. So how did you get to the point what was your evolution with the relationship to becoming like a power couple yeah well i will say that i've just learned how to voice my desires and my feelings so for me it's pretty simple over communicate and i would say that most of my life i didn't communicate in general my feelings or needs or desires i was kind of go with the flow or just do it on my own and so in partnership and in marriage obviously over communicating and saying how you feel and what your needs are, that's pretty key ingredient. <laughs> and so I've I've learned we, we're a big fan of always having a therapist or a coach or some kind of guide to support us so that we can always be in thriving mode. So through that and through Scott just being really loving and patient and creating the space where I feel safe, I've learned it's okay to talk about how I feel. Like I'm a lot more tired than him all the time. So just saying like I'm really tired. I want to go to bed versus you know, maybe my old self would want to stay up and watch Netflix, Yeah, you know, or, or just because, you know, you, you want to do the cool thing or, you know, be hanging together or whatever. And not that I'm like some old boring lady all the time, but it's more so, okay, I have an emotion. I have a feeling I have a need. I'm going to say that. And it's met with so much love. So really that's been the key in regard to all of our relationship and our success, not just sensitivity. <laughs> That's so amazing because I feel cooler now that I'm more of a grandma. <laughs> like before, I felt like it was this constant like chase. Pain to, in the butt. <laughs> yeah. It's like I thought I was having a lot of fun. And, you know, if you asked me at the time, I was. Now my version of fun is different. So yeah. it's hard. Partying to, and beer yeah. bongs aren't as fun. It's, I don't want to, to do that, actually. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to even look at that and be like, I was having fun. Part of me has convinced myself that none of it was fun. And I just thought I was having fun. Who knows? It's somewhere That's probably <laughs> it. I think the same. Like, was that really fun? Like being, yeah, all the partying and all of that. I don't know. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Maybe for the time being. Yeah. And also I was chasing who I thought I should be. Like, I just felt like I was chasing something the Mm -hmm. whole time. Whereas now when I'm like, 
I'm going to bed and it's 1032. <laughs> oh, girl, I'm hitting the 930 mark lately. I don't know. Oh, Grandma up, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, and just to be met with a supportive partner who gets it, like whether you're married or not, it's just so nice. Or your friends get it. Like it, you don't even have to be in romantic relationships. Yeah. Just people get it and they honor that. It yes. just builds that connection with yourself so much more. That's one of the biggest things I've learned, how to be a good friend and a good partner and a good daughter, whatever, mm. is allow people to just be who they are. Mm. Like, if I'm upset with somebody, why? Like, is it my expectations? Like, most of the time, it comes down to an expectation that I shouldn't have. And like expecting somebody to fill some sort of need that I have. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes the person's being a huge bitch. Who knows? <laughs> but like, but even allowing that and not creating an identity around that for them. Like that's something that's not allowed in our household. We're not allowed to say you always do this. Ooh, love that. We're very calm. I might accidentally sometimes, but it'll be reminded with love. And we also remind each other if we're identifying with something that doesn't sound like something we want to identify with. Like I always do this or I have a problem with this. Mm. We'll just kind of give each other a loving look and we'll change it too. In the past, I had a tendency to do this, but now I'm working towards this. You know what I mean? Relationships really are the greatest personal development sanctuary. It's a mirror. I have this um, when you were talking about, you know, expectation or things that can create that dis ease or that dissonance. It reminded me I went to this relationship retreat years ago called Thrive in Love. And there was this exercise where you wrote down all the things that you wish your partner was doing. And you were kind of felt like, yeah, (laughs) I wish they were doing all these things. And then they're like, are you doing these? And you're like, oh, so, so there was that <laughs> moment where it's like, okay, yeah, we can't put expectation on others. Like let's be who we want, you know, to be in partnership with. And then another thing I learned at that retreat too, which relates back to kind of trying to control someone or control how they act or be or evolve was this concept of signing up for a job that you were never hired to do. And I think that sometimes in relationship, we can do that. Like I used to sign up for all these jobs. Like I'm your life coach. I'm your financial advisor. Like I'm your cheerleader. Like all these jobs that like the person I was dating never really hired me to do. I just like decided I would do that, which is the hero and the drama triangle archetype, you know? So yeah, I think you're spot on. It's like noticing any patterns that we have and and being able to talk those out in a loving space and not shaming each other if we have the slip ups. Key. Yeah. And I love that exercise of, well, are you doing this too? Because it, first of all, it forces you to get clear about what you want. And one exercise I did in the past was similar to that, but okay, what do you wish that they're doing? And how can you give that to yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you fill mm-hmm. your own need first so that you're not looking outside of yourself the whole time? And that works so well in any relationship that you have, even Mm -hmm. if you're like still living with your mom, like, how can I give this to myself? And it reminds me of what you said in the beginning of this interview about how you weren't putting all the pressure, passion pressure on just one career avenue. You were Mm -hmm. doing other things to fulfill yourself. And so often we're like, well, my passion has to be my purpose and I've got to do one thing and I've got to just start this now. And I need to know what my whole life is going to look like right now. But instead just I like to call it pulling the threads of your joy, like just start to figure out what really lights you up and then get clarity from there, whether it's in your relationships or in your business. Mm -hmm. I dig that. You never know. You really never know. You can have a great plan. Might not go as planned. Probably (laughs) won't actually. But if you just trust that guidance and keep evolving and growing, everything does work out. What would you say your biggest struggle is with your own mindset? Like the thing that keeps popping up. That's Mm -hmm. that thing that you're like, okay, need a new tool to overcome this again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we were kind of talking a little bit about, I shared a little bit with you when we first got together this afternoon about me wanting to specifically rewire, just feeling anxious. So life is good. I'm healthy. I'm in a loving marriage. I have great friends. I'm super abundant. I feel creative but I still feel anxiety. So it's, I think, partially a nervous system thing. And I think partially maybe a mindset thing. And I think it's based off of never feeling safe growing up and always feeling like I had to be the adult at a very young age and and being the adult at a very young age and kind of being in survival mode and fending for myself for so long that my body and my mind wired, hardwired in that it's like you kind of have to like be on guard and and uh, that kind of, you know, feeling or else, you know, 
things will go into shambles or something bad will happen or you won't survive. So being able to rewire this last anxiety that I really am aware of is kind of where I'm at right now. You know, you can have all the tools and do all the cute stuff and be relaxed. I'm a massage queen. Like, you know, you do the things, but I think that deep, deep rewiring takes time. I've been doing hypnotherapy, which I never really understood what it really was. And now I'm in it and doing it. And I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, I'm sure it depends on your hypnotherapist and all of that. And just being able to go back to these times and these memories and these traumas or these emotional hardships and being able to feel the feelings that I'd never felt. That's been really good for anxiety. And yeah, those are some things that, that I've been doing to proactively work at it. Sometimes I've noticed in the holistic communities, because there's so much emphasis on like, well, you have control over all this, you can attract these things or dispel these things or whatever, that I've had people come to me and feel guilt because they have anxiety or they have Mm -hmm. depression or whatever, and they can't figure out how to like overcome that. Have you felt any of that or do you just know? (laughs) Absolutely. I was super, I would say I felt very depressed for a long time. My first understanding of this feeling was when I was like 19, I went to this doctor because I like didn't want to live. I was like really not happy with my life or in my relationship. And she prescribed me antidepressants and I took them. Like there was no conversation like, how's your life? Like it was you know, awful is the medical system, you know, like, let me give you this prescription for this deep wound that you need to heal in a different way. And that was the first time I realized you could even be depressed. And then like months and months later, my body talked to me and said, stop taking this. And I had to like, that was one of the first times I realized I could make decisions and take action. And that could lead me to feeling more joy in certain areas of my life. Even if it was a scary decision, like I'm breaking up with this person, I'm moving out, I'm changing my life. I'm doing this new job, like these big things I had to do, which led me to more joy. But then I felt it again. There's this article that Entrepreneur Magazine wrote that goes in deeper about my experience, but it's called like from depression to millionaire or something hokey, but (laughs) yeah, but it's truth is I was super depressed. Um, My dad had passed away. I started a new business. I had just broken up with a different, this was like six years later, a boyfriend. I moved into a new house. It was freezing winter. I don't like being cold. So I moved to California and I was so depressed. It was like everything built up and I wanted to die and I'd planned on it. And I wrote out notes to the people I loved and all this and, and, this is a long story, but it's serendipitous. And, and this one phone call kind of saved my life uh, with a random renter's insurance lady. Long story, but, <laughs> but it was my like crazy gentle messenger. But there's been these moments and times in my life where things just felt so hard that I just want to give up. And I don't know if that's just the way I'm wired or if lots of people feel that way. But I think that what really helped me is having people in my life that I could actually share how I was feeling with and having a therapist or a coach and someone that I could actually have professional support to help me and being brave enough to make decisions to change the things that I think were probably making me feel down. Those have helped me a lot. And and I haven't felt like that in many years, but it's still a thing that I've dealt with and I can understand deeply. And it might happen again. It's happened several times in my life so far. And there could be these moments again where I feel that kind of despair and sadness. And I think I have a lot of tools now to prevent myself from getting into a place that feels that deep of a shadow or a sadness. And I will say that anxiety has been kind of that thread line that's always been there, no matter what I've done or how much success that I've had. I found that so many people tell their stories in a way where well, this was my one struggle and then I got out of it and now I'm sharing it with you and everything's perfect from mm. here on out. But so many things for me and it sounds like for you too were simultaneous. I was fixing my life in one area while destroying my life in another. Mm. I was really successful in one area while I was like binge eating and purging and like super depressive, you know? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times it's not just this clear, like rock bottom, we're up and out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's happening and it's happening over and over again. And it's not about getting your life to a place of sustainable enlightenment and happiness. It's about developing the tools and knowing yourself well enough that like you can come out with a new tool that you've never used before because you can listen and say, this is what I need. Absolutely. And I found that the thing that was going okay during the hard times actually kept me going. 
And I was always grateful for the one thing that was like <laughs> I could hold on to or that was actually like giving me some hope at, at the, during those times. So yeah, it's not always just like rock bottom and now we're good. It's, it's <laughs> often like often for people underlying and it's something that you wouldn't even know someone's struggling with. So in partnership, mm-hmm. when you guys are going through these things together, sometimes as we've bonded over being highly sensitive, it's difficult for me to be there for people the way I really want to be there mm-hmm. sometimes. Like I, I actually now this year has been different because I've got new tools of like visualizations of my protective bubble. And then I'm like, OK, now speak to me. I'm literally in a shield of armor. <laughs> You're like, hold on. I need to do my 10 minute visualization process before you speak to me right now. I'm filling my body with gold light. Give me a second. I come out wrapped in bubble wrap like a toddler in a snowsuit. Your crown, crown chakra is you Oh, it just activated. I'm ready. <laughs> Speak to me now. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that the time between my own protective mechanisms and actually being able to receive people's information is going to shorten. <laughs> how do you how do you handle that? <laughs> yeah. Oof. So in partnership, particularly. Yeah. So I haven't had like a ton of uh, dips in terms of like the last couple of years I've been with Scott. But of course there's like the things that are like, that just come up, you know, like we all have days and weeks that are like, Ooh, that was a little rough. Or, you know, like for a specific example, like this last week I was in Colorado visiting my grandpa. He just got put into a memory care unit and it's really hard for me to see him like that. And I've been really sad all week. And so Scott has just been extra there, extra supportive, writing me more little notes around the house, like, you know, just extra text messages, extra love, extra snuggles. And so for me, it's like, I've noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's almost like one person in the relationship is doing good and the other person might be having the struggle. It's like the other person rises. It's like you're co-leading at different times. So it's like, if he's having a struggle moment or a struggle day, it's like, for some reason, I'm not at that moment either. So I I find that we kind of, it's this like back and forth teeter totter of like being able to support each other in those days. It's, I don't even remember a time where it's like, we were both kind of in like a moment. It kind of feels like we teeter totter and it kind of naturally happens and it's organic. But I will say that, like I mentioned before, it's just communicating. Like, I just feel sad and I need support, or I really wish this would have went differently. And I'm nervous to keep going or whatever. And we tend to just be able to rise to meet the other person. I think something naturally happens sometimes when you see somebody else in need. It's like, do you ever remember being in like college and binge drinking with a friend and realizing your friend was way too drunk and suddenly out of the blue, you become a little more sober. sober, Sally. (laughs) Oh, plenty of times. Like the cops would break up parties in college and I would all of a sudden be like, the cadet to the police force. I'm like, how can I help you guys? Is there anything I can do? You know, like, <laughs> would you like me to say this in sign language as yes, well? Because- I can outsource this whole thing and get everyone out in five minutes. But yeah, I, I agree, especially being a two on the Enneagram and that supporter. Um, and whether you're a two or not on the Enneagram, it's like that supporter role comes out of you and you're, you rise and you're like, okay, I can take care. It's like this motherly nurturing or like this fatherly nurturing thing that can, can happen. I've found that there's been a lot of ebbs and flows of learning about myself and taking boundaries too far while I was learning about them and then kind of (laughs) finding the balance or realizing like, oh my gosh, I'm highly sensitive. I can't handle this at all. Let me step back. And and that's okay too, because that's where I was at that time. And sometimes knowledge is, it's like how we were talking about earlier. You used to be vegan. I'm vegan now. And people- Now I eat animals, (laughs) y'all. Sometimes people are like, well, vegans can be really mean about stuff. And I'm always like, well, they might be a new vegan because there's something about when you change your life or you find out something really incredible that's changing your life that you feel like you need everybody to know. Yeah. I used to be a fanatic vegan. I can relate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just get intense about it. It's like when someone wakes up and they have like a spiritual, you know, experience, it's like, that's all they're feeling and talking about. And it can feel isolating or you can feel alienated or, or you alienate yourself because you feel disconnected from your current reality. And that can be kind of scary sometimes and ungrounding. And yeah, so I completely agree. It's like having those tools to be able to ground back down. For sure. And I found that everyone's going through that in some way or another. With their own thing. Yeah, whatever they're learning about themselves. And it's another area that I try to practice like radical acceptance Mm -hmm. and be like, uh, so many people like to point at the other person saying like, oh, that person's doing this or they're too intense (laughs) about this. Or I had a friend who (laughs) 
who got really upset because her other best friend got into CrossFit and suddenly wasn't wanting to binge drink quite as often. This was in my 20s. Yeah. So she started yelling around, CrossFit's like a cult. <laughs> Anti-CrossFit. <laughs> really yeah. But we do that to each other in less extreme, less rabid drunkard 20 ways <laughs> well even a simple trip to the grocery store you can get triggered by someone like like okay for example if we're talking about having empathy and understanding and radical acceptance for people like you just mentioned it's like if i'm at air one which is like our bougie organic grocery store here in la <laughs> and this woman is like excuse me and kind of has snappy attitude and like pushes me out of the way like she's learning something too yeah. so it's like i can't take that personally and if i do why, why put myself through that? That's silly. So it's, it's just having that compassion for everyone, no matter what's going on. It's like, okay, she's learning patience with herself, or maybe she's going through a heartbreak. I just like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like if people are crazy in traffic and like honking and angry, I'm just like, namaste and love to you because I have no idea your life, your childhood and what you're experiencing right now. And probably you just need a hug. <laughs> yeah. And we've characterized people or like make create a caricature of them off this one experience that we have with them when there's so much more and they might have never yelled at somebody in a grocery store in their life. I saw two people right before I came here. And it was actually really funny. And I'm so glad I witnessed it because it was like two old people that looked like really respectable grandparents. And they got in like a blowout fight at Vaughn's today. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like screaming back and forth at each other. And I was like, I can't picture either of you doing what I'm watching you doing right now. Right. I love that they're respectable grandparents. <laughs> oh, she had a moo and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was gorgeous. It yeah, was like we just so never know. I mean, they could have had just the worst week of their life. They could have lost someone. I know that when I lost my dad, it was just like not probably my nicest self for that month or most understanding self or just more sensitive and you just never know someone's situation and that's why we have to practice our own self-care and our own boundaries and take really good care of ourselves because if we're not filled up we're going to take that personally or we're going to get triggered or we're going to meet them in their energy and react now i've been noticing in myself it's funny, earlier you called yourself a wise owl. Hopefully it was on this recording. Maybe it was the last one. So if you didn't hear that, she once called herself a wise, wise owl. But, but uh, I, the more in tune with my own thought processes I get and how I react and becoming aware of my triggers and just how I interact with people, the more I realize that there's like a veil between what I first think and what comes out. And I allow myself that like brief moment of like, Somebody could be saying something and what my mind wants to do is go off on some story that I create about them. Mm. Like, oh, this person's always doing this or why is she being so judgmental about this as I'm currently judging, you know, <laughs> you know? and immediately stopping and trying to shift that first while I'm still receiving, while mm. I'm still listening and come up with the best possible story for them. Mm. Like, wow, this person is going through this. This person's going to realize that, like whatever it is. And then all of a sudden approaching that from there and it changes me more than it changes them. And oftentimes it just takes my shift in perception of the person to change my entire experience with that person forever. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest mindset shift that you like are aware of yourself doing sometimes? Well, the thing is, I, I think we're all not perfect, right? So we can be like super aware and be mindset teachers and do all this and still have a period week where we're like menstruating <laughs> and we just want to stab yeah. someone. You know what I mean? So I'm not perfect. I'm 98% super loving and kind and like not reactive, you know, but 2% catch me on like a period day and generally no. So, <laughs> so what I've learned to do is there's this I don't know, graphic or visual that helped me. And basically it was like these three tiers. So the bottom tier was like infant, the middle tier was adolescent and the top tier was adult. So someone can only meet you in the energy level that you are being. So I thought, okay, if I'm being adolescent, they're going to meet me there. If I'm being adult, they're going to meet me there. So if I'm a leader of my life, because I am, I have to always be open to the fact that and aware of and, and just understand that someone's going to meet me where I'm at. So it's like waking up. I'm the leader of my life and the leader of my life says, I'm going to be the adult. I'm going to like not react and I'm going to respond instead, or I'm going to take that moment like you're saying and kind of evaluate what's going on so I can decipher how I want to be with that situation. And so that visual always like stuck with me. And I think about that all the time. I'm like, I'm an adult and I have the awareness and the embodiment of 
evolution of like just being a kind human and I have these skills and tools. So why would I not show up in that loving place and in that loving self? And I wouldn't say it was like this one mindset moment that changed that for me. It was more like understanding that I have that power and understanding that the world, we need a lot of leaders. We need people leading their own lives and I can do that on a micro level every single day, whether it's holding the door for someone extra and making them feel loved or standing up for someone who's being bullied or if I see injustice somewhere saying something, but in in a way that it's like if I have the understanding of how to talk to someone and I can shift a little bit how I'm going to say something so that it hits them in the right spot, that's leadership. So it's kind of like awareness meets responsibility equals this way of being a leader in your own life. And that's kind of how I do it. It's not changing who I am. It's understanding where people are and understanding what I know and what I've embodied and being able to create the best result and win-win situation for the moments that I'm in, whether it's on the phone with a company trying to get something figured out where the person's probably been yelled at all day and being extra nice and understanding or, or some of the examples I said. So for me, it's like the mindset of, okay, if I'm aware of all this stuff that I've learned and I'm not practicing it, that's out of integrity. I love that. Trying to align thoughts, actions, intentions, like behavior, all the things and moving closer and closer to alignment. Because I think a lot of times in the very beginning of learning something new, we're not going to have that alignment. We're going to mess it up. Yeah. We have like, we're going to say, I'm sorry, lady in the store, (laughs) but I don't know what happened in your day, but you're acting like this. You have 11 items and the 10 (laughs) items are less. We're going to try to control people. We're going to try to find what's wrong with people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. We can be messy. For sure. And I try to, I take what that lesson that you just said rings true for me too, where a lot of times I'll snap myself out of, even if no one else is around, what energy am I moving into this action with? Because it's probably what's going to come back, even if it's something It just reminds me of like, okay, so earlier today I was on a walk with my dog, Cooper. He's a long-haired wiener dog for the visual. And we live on this cute walk street and there was all this trash everywhere. And I didn't, I don't have to clean up the trash. It's not my trash, but it's like, how are you acting when no one's watching? So I cleaned up all the trash just because it was the right thing to do. And like you said, then that's going to come back twofold and you don't do something because it's going to come back. You do it because it's the right thing to do. So again, it's just about being that leader. It's like, we all know the right thing to do. We all have that discernment built into us, but can we slow down enough? And are we filled up enough? Did we take that time for ourselves to be able to respond in that way? That's the juice. Yeah. And realizing that leadership isn't just what like you said, what are you doing when no one's around? Because even if nobody's around, you're still cultivating your own energy, which is how you lead. Mm -hmm. It's where you lead from. So I think that's a beautiful place to, uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more of this this Libby goodness? So yummy. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to Libby land via the Avenue of Melissa. So everything's Libby crow, crow like the bird. Everything's that online. Instagram's really fun place to hang out. My website has really good blogs and information, uh, libbycrow.com. And I also have a podcast called Behind the Dream. And so if you want to check that out, I think you'd really love it. It's a good time. All the links from this episode will be in the show notes at mindlove.com slash 119. And just some final notes. I want you to realize that wellness is really redesigning your entire universe. It's not just mindset. It's also your environment, who you surround yourself with, what you choose to do with your day. Everything is connected. I was just struggling recently on my focus and concentration and I was drilling down, well, what is going on right now? And funny enough, I had just come back from the Philippines. Well, when I travel to countries like that, it's really difficult to be vegan. It kind of ruins the travel. Plus, I like to immerse myself in the cultures. I can't bring myself to eat meat, but I normally go vegetarian on a long trip like that. So this was actually the first time I ate eggs in years and whatnot. But the quality of a lot of the food wasn't necessarily what I'm used to. And because of all of these cheats or whatever you call them, by the time I got back, I was in a slump with my nutrition, my daily activities, my routines, all of that. So I I was all of a sudden having all this mental fog and hard time concentrating. And so I started 
going back to the basics, creating my routine, really seeing what I was putting in my body, how I was spending my time, what my thoughts were. And I noticed, well, hey, of course my mind is foggy. I've been eating way more sugar than I normally do, way more processed foods, and everything is connected. And when that's happening, a lot of times it affects my mindset, my motivation at work. And the reason that I'm bringing this up right now is one of the most powerful changes I've made in the last few years has been changing who I surround myself with. And as I said earlier, Libby is a newer friend, just one of those high vibrational people that you can't help but smile when you're around, that lifts up my energy, that I can bounce ideas off of. We just send each other voice notes sometimes. And so I want you to ask yourself, how are you designing your life right now? Who do you spend your time with? At the end of a conversation with them, do you feel like you have a boost of energy or do you feel drained? Do you have more people around you that are inspiring you than people that you have to lift up yourself? I'm not saying that you should just cut off everybody who's not as far along as you, but you should have more people that are pulling you up than people that you are pulling up or at the very least, it should balance out. So this week, I challenge you to do an audit of your friendship circle. Write down everyone's names. This is not like a real life burn book, I promise. But start to catalog like, what are the strengths of all of your friends? What do you love about being around them? How do they make you feel? If you're having a hard time coming up with anything for somebody, then you might want to reconsider that friendship, especially while you're at least trying to level up yourself. It can be really difficult when you have a bunch of people acting as anchors around you, as harsh as that might sound. And the second benefit of this exercise is it brings you back to that place of gratitude in your relationships. It reminds you why you're friends in the first place. I've mentioned this before. In the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, he talks about his invisible counsel. He created this by thinking of a bunch of people that inspired him. Some of them he never met. So it might be Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Gabby Bernstein for you. And when you think about those people and you study them enough, what you can start to do is think in a situation what would Gabby Bernstein do? What would Melissa Monti do? What would, insert inspiring friend's name here, do? That is one of the hugest benefits of relationships. The more you get to know somebody, the greater your ability to tap into their knowledge or how they would react. So maybe if something isn't innate to you, you can take that moment of pause before you react and tap into somebody else's strengths a little bit. I do this quite often with my mom and my stepdad who both have their own strengths. My husband and I joke about WWPD, what would Pete do? Pete's my stepdad. And so we say that all the time because he's so methodical and just if he has a task on his list, it's what he does. And I am the opposite. So sometimes for me, I just think WWPD and suddenly I'm able to tap in a little bit to his resources. Friendships take a lot of time and investment. So that investment should have some type of return. I'm not saying that you need to go find your friends based on what they can give you, but as far as energy is concerned, you kind of do have to think like that. Otherwise, they're gonna drain you. It's rare that it's just a neutral ground where neither of those two things happen. So let me know how that audit goes and connect with me on Instagram and let me know. My handle is mindlovemelissa, and if you reach out to me, I will send you a voice note back. If this podcast was helpful for you, please share it with a friend or family member or coworker. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't yet, and this show has been helpful, please leave a five-star review. They're super helpful. I've gotten a lot of great ones that have come in recently, and they seriously just make my day so much. So something that takes just a few minutes of your time has the power to make my whole week. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.